Turn with me your Bibles tonight. Uh, we're finishing up the tips on the fruit of life. And if you look with me at Leviticus chapter 26, this is a warning manual for crops. And uh, wouldn't it be nice if you had a gardening book to help you uh, know the means of producing the best crop? Wouldn't it be wonderful and incredibly helpful to know uh, what pH your soil needs to be for the particular crop that you're planting? The exact ingredients needed to have the richest crop possible. Uh, wouldn't it be nice to know of a warning of the pests to avoid and how to keep the pests away and also produce the, the healthiest crop without necessarily all the pesticides. And you think about the spiritual analogy of this, the Bible gives us the very means of doing that. It does give us the manual to have a rich crop, to have a life that is pleasing to the Lord, to have a life wherein I can keep the pests away those things that seek to destroy me, I can keep those things away and avoid unnecessary heartache. Let's look at Leviticus chapter 26, verse 1. We'll read through verse 14. Here is God's uh, giving a warning to the Israelites and uh, how to produce crops that are worthy before the Lord. This is a part of the warning manual for crops as you think about this. Verse 1. The very first thing that he says in verse 1 of Leviticus 26 says, Ye shall make no idols nor graven image, neither rear you up a standing image, neither shall you set up any image of stone in your land to bow down unto it, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary, I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, then I will give you rain in due season, and the land shall yield her increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. And your threshing shall reach into the vintage, and the vintage shall reach into the sowing time. And ye shall eat your bread to the full, and dwell in your land safely. And I will give peace in the land, and ye shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. And I will rid evil beasts out of the land. Neither shall the sword go through your land. And ye shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. This is the context of uh, God giving instruction to Israel when they're in the promised land, how to stay in the land, how to stay in the promises, how to stay uh, in the center of God's will. And so going forth here, verse 8, And five of you shall chase an hundred, and a hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight, and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword, for I will have respect unto you, and make you fruitful, and multiply you, and establish my covenant with you. And ye shall eat old store, bring forth the old because of the new. And I will set my tabernacle among you, my soul shall not... Abhor you, and I will walk among you, and will be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt, that ye should not be their bondmen. And I have broken the bands of your yoke, and made you go upright. But if ye will not hearken unto me, and will not do all these commandments, and if ye shall despise my statutes, or if your soul abhor my judgments, so that you do not do all my commandments, but that you break my covenant, I will also do this unto you. I will even appoint over you terror, consumption, and the burning og that shall consume thine eye, that can consume the eyes, and cause sorrow of heart, and you shall sow your seed in vain for your enemies, so eat it. Here's a warning that God gives. He says, Listen, I'm going to give you wonderful crops. But there's some conditions to it. There's some conditions. And the fact that obedience breeds fruitfulness, protection, and freedom from God. 
So let's go to the Lord and ask for his blessing, and then we'll continue our study on this idea of the warning manual for crops and to be a productive Christian in your life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day. Lord, once again, I need your help. I can't do it. I need your energy. I need your strength. The clarity of mind and the words that I speak, Lord, I pray that you would make it cohesive. And Father, I pray that in our lives that we would begin to grow more in our lives. Begin to just lift you up and honor you. Father, we need your help. The Christian life is impossible without you. And Father, I pray that in seeking of our lives that we would just seek, Lord, to be productive, fruitful Christians living a life knowing that we are in the center of your will. And God, that our lives are pleasing to thee. And so, Lord, I commit tonight to you. I love you. And I thank you for being such a patient and caring and merciful Father. Lord, I commit tonight to you and ask you to do what only you can. In the precious and holy name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You want to know something that's amazing when God, and I, I love this about the Lord, I love this, when you think about a crop as a warning manual, you know, you might go to a, a store, and I see down in the Winkler area, oftentimes there's these sellers of seeds, these, you know, and so they're trying to sell these seeds in bulk to these farmers, and they want them to buy their seeds, and they'll tell you why they're the best seeds, and, and they might give you some warnings and some things to avoid, some things to do to make it a productive crop. You know what God does to us? God always gives us a warning uh, before judgment for bad fruit. You realize this, and in G Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. What does God do? God says, listen, if you eat of this fruit, it's going to produce bad fruit in your life. God gives us warnings. God gives us instructions. The Word of God gives us the warnings and the uh, caution labels, the MSDS, you know, the Manufacturer Safety Data Sheet or something like that. Uh, you know, when you get chemicals, oftentimes they'll come within an MSDS sheet to tell you uh, the dangers of that chemical and how to deal with it if you get it in your eye or on your skin and all. I mean, it gives you all that pertinent information. But it's giving you warning, saying, listen, there are some dangers to be careful of. You know, the Philistines would, were, warned to leave Judah, uh, were warned to leave Judah alone, lest the fruit of a fiery serpent consume them under Hezekiah's reign, Isaiah 14. And then you find the idolatrous rebellious would being judged and removed, Micah 7, 13, notwithstanding the land shall be desolate because of them that dwell there and for the fruit of their doings. God's saying, listen. If you don't stop your rebellion, you don't stop doing and living your lifestyle in, uh, in, in opposition to God, you're going to have the fruit of your doings. You're going to have the fruit of a selfish lifestyle. The second thing that we also need to understand is that, uh, about a warning manual for crops. Number one, you need a warning for judgment. Number two, don't contaminate the soil. If you're going to have an organic farm... Uh, you need to keep a certain separation from regular crops with all the sprays on them and the pesticides. There needs to be some distance between a regular crop and an organic crop in order for it to receive the certification as being genuinely organic. And you don't realize this, that God wants us to not contaminate the soil of our lives. 
you know, the judgment of God from turning from the fruit of righteousness. In the book of Amos, uh, who was a sheep herder, Amos 6, 12, shall horses run upon the rock, will one plow there with oxen, for ye have turned judgment into gall and the fruit of righteousness into hemlock. They have taken the things of God and turned it into a poison. They have, you know, in, in Jer- Jeremiah chapter 2, they neglected the Lord, though he delivered them from Egypt. He says in verse 7 of Jeremiah 2, And I brought you into a plentiful country to eat the fruit thereof and the goodness thereof. But when ye entered, ye defiled my land and made mine heritage an abomination. The priest said not, Where is the Lord? They that handed the law knew me not. The pastors also transgressed against me, and the prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that do not profit. They would begin to take the things of God and contaminate them and neglect the Lord and begin to to infiltrate the things of God with the things of the world, and they ended up turning their hearts from God. The soil became corrupted and produced corrupt fruit. Moab and Isaiah 16 became a nation of drunkenness. In fact, it would tell us that the destruction of the wine industry there in Moab, and gladness is taken away, and joy out of the plentiful field, and in the vineyards there shall be no singing, neither shall there be shouting, the treaders shall tread out no wine in their presses, I have made their vintage shouting to cease, wherefore my bowels shall sound like an heart for Moab, and my inward part for Kirharish. It's kind of a sarcasm on Isaiah's part as he prophesies of Moab's demise, a nation of drunkenness. Don't contaminate the soil. You've got to be thinking about what are the things that are affecting your life. Is it contaminating the soil that God wants to do in your life to produce a right fruit? You know what? The the third thing you need to do is evaluate the fruit of your life. Now, there are evident tokens of reassurance that one is doing that which is pleasing to the Lord. For they shall eat the fruit of their doings. What are some things that are being produced in your life? You know, God makes fruit multiply for the righteous giver, 2 Corinthians 9, 10. Now, he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. You know what, God's going, if you're serving the Lord and you're evaluating the crop, you're evaluating the fruit of your life, what is multiplying in my life? Am I multiplying greater and greater attitudes or uh, countenance or behavior or language that is in opposition to godliness, right? We know Ephesians uh, chapter 4, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace into the hearers. So is it, is it bad communication or is it godly communication? What is the fruit that is perpetuating? You know, you, notice, you need to notice the fruit of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Look with me at uh, Galatians chapter 5. And this is one of the fruits of evaluation of your life. Galatians chapter 5. This is kind of a good test for what is in your life. So it tells us, if you want to look at what is being perpetuated, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, which we know what that is, right? Fornication is all sexual activity outside of marriage. Uncleanness, uh, 
kind of uh, would be homosexuality and other things. Lasciviousness is living however you want without any boundaries. Uh, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, uh, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So here's one type of fruit, one type of fleshly living. Then look with me, but the fruit of the Spirit is, what does it say here? Love, joy, peace. Long-suffering is being able to bear up under affliction of others. Gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. They that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. So the truth is, what fruit? Are you exhibiting a greater love, a greater joy, a greater peace, a greater patience and gentleness, goodness, faith uh, in your life? Is that becoming more evident? You know what? That person's changing. They're a whole lot more loving. They're a lot more kind in their speech. You know what? When irritations come, they're a lot more long-suffering. Or, are you becoming like one of those of the spirit there, of the flesh, excuse me, more crusty? That is the fruit of the flesh and not of God. And that is a path of greater pain. Now, in Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, and this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ and the glory and praise of God. Are you being filled with the fruits of righteousness? Are you being filled with the very things that are pleasing to God, what is right before God. Think about righteousness as that which is right before Him. Taking care of God's people will bring an eternal fruit. Philippians 4, you know, Apostle Paul says, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. He's saying, listen, Apostle Paul is saying, I care about you and I want you to have greater fruit. Look with me at Colossians chapter 1, another one of these evaluation of our fruit in our lives. Colossians chapter 1, verse 3. Verse 3, Colossians 1, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints. Verse 5 of Colossians 1, Colossians 1, 5, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, where have you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel which has come unto you, as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit. What, what brings forth fruit? The gospel does. As it doth also in you since the day you heard of it, and knew the grace of God and truth. What's he saying? He said, listen, the gospel brought forth fruit in your life. And then when you knew the grace of God and truth, it brought forth fruit in your life. You accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You became a child of God. It, it brought life. 
uh, Colossians 1, 9 through 11. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord, being fruitful, how? In every good work. And increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. So getting back on that very idea, I've just tried to complete the sentence here. But as we find here, uh, being fruitful in every good work, by him all things consist. So the fact is, all of my good works are with, with a purpose that I'm going to do it for Christ. Do you realize in James chapter 3, are your words pure, peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, easy to obey? Are they full of mercy, without bias, without hypocrisy? James 3, 17 and 18. But the wisdom that, that is from above is first what? Pure. And then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality, without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that, what? Make peace. So if you're not willing to reconcile, to make things right, the fruit of righteousness isn't going to be sown in you. If you're not willing to make what, maybe there's conflict uh, with someone in your life and you don't make it right, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. So if you're not willing to make peace, you're not sowing peace, and you're not going to experience the peace. Another thing in this warning manual on the fruit is you must handle the fruit trees with caution. You know, in Psalm 128, verses 1 through 4, Blessed everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways, for thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands, happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house, thy children like olive plants round about thy table. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. Your fear in the Lord produces a bountiful harvest. You're careful. You know, when you handle the fruit, particularly, you know, like the Japanese, they have this tree and they might take a lot of all the other fruit off of that branch, but one of the fruits, like an apple per se, and they cover it up and they protect it and try to get a very large, luscious green or whatever color of apple they're desiring to grow, but they want an apple full of flavor and full of vitality and energy and they get rid of all the other stuff. There's a great hand, when they pull that down, because they've eliminated all the other fruit, they have to be careful because that's their cash crop. I mean, that's where they get their business. And so they got to handle it with extreme caution. But unfortunately, as Hosea 10.1 says, we in our lives, just like Israel, Israel's an empty vine, he bringeth forth fruit unto himself. According to the multitude of his, his fruit, he hath increased the altars. According to the goodness of his land, they have made goodly images. 
So anything that goes, anything that produces some uh, outcome, anything that's in, in this idea of pragmatism, I've been dealing with someone recently, and uh, they're heavy into seeker-sensitive ideology that because if, 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 if I offend someone, then they're not going to come to Jesus. But Jesus offended people, and, you know, so here's these people increasing the, the fruit unto themselves, and, you know what, I, I need to compromise here and, and compromise here, and just, uh, it'll be okay here. And, and so they're multiplying fruit unto themselves, and the end justifies the mean, like, the pragmatism would be equivalent to someone in a, a, a classroom saying, I need to get a good grade to get into university, so it's okay to steal uh, and cheat from my neighbor to get a high score so I can get into uni the university I want to. My high score, doesn't matter how I got it, right? That's cheating. That's not right. But he's fruit, multiplying fruit into himself, but he's not doing it under God. He's doing it in a pragmatic way. But what results of this without a caution and care of the fruit is the fact that uh, Hosea 13, 15. Though he be fruitful among his brethren, an east wind shall come, the wind of the Lord shall come up from wilderness, and his spring shall become dry, and his fountain shall be dried up. He shall spoil the treasure of all pleasant vessels. Here's the truth. There's someone in their life Maybe you're talking with them, and they know they need to take the next step for the Lord. They need to do something. They need to make something right. They need to correct it, whatever. And they are not willing to make that step to correct maybe an error in their life, and so dryness and dearth comes. Emptiness. They're not cautious with the fruit that's all, you know, someone gets saved and they begin to grow in the Lord and they're excited about the things of God and, and then God begins to convict them, hey, this isn't right, you need to make it right. But it bothers them. But they don't act on it. They're not careful. And what was once a light begins to dim because of the fruit they have, they've been careless with it. Because they've refused the manual. They haven't gone to the next step. You know what? If you grow a crop of apples or oranges or whatever it be, and you harvest them and you put them in the boxes, but you never send them out to be sold, what's going to happen to the fruit? It's going to rot. It's going to mold. It's going to go to waste. It, each step requires another step of faith. I remember there was a time in my life that and I had worked somewhere and I had done some things that uh, at the workplace I realized I needed to make amends for. And when I'd go by this shop and I'd make statements to my wife. and You know what, every time I went by, it was like God was saying, you need to make it right. I'm like, oh, that was years ago, Lord. Eventually, I wrote a letter and made things right, and you know what, it eased my conscience, knowing that I've, I, I did what was I needed to, that next step. You can't take the fruit you have, and fruit on the tree, wow, we, I, planted a, I planted all this fruit, but if I don't do anything with it, if I let it stay on the trees, it's going to eventually fall, fall to the ground, the birds lead it, the insects lead it, but it's definitely not going to make me any money just sitting on the trees. Here's another thing in the manual for fruit. If you encounter a bad crop, get back to the basics. 
Deuteronomy chapter 30, look with me. We like to kind of add to God's word, or not add to God's word, I mean, reinvent, or, you know, there's this idea in church growth and all this stuff that I'm going to make it better for the Lord. I'm going to do it my way, and and I've found a better process for this. I'm not advocating anything of changing God's Word, but there tends to be, uh, in professing Christianity, this idea, uh, and in the seeker-sensitive movement, it's produced a crop of people who are at uh, who are marginal Christians at best, and who aren't growing for the Lord. They're not gaining. They're not. They don't have strength. They don't have a a doctrinal mooring in their life. It's producing a bad crop. In Deuteronomy chapter thirty, verse one, it shall come to pass when all these things are come upon thee, talking about the blessing and the curse which I have set before thee, and thou shalt call them to mind among all the nations whither the Lord thy God hath driven thee, and shalt return to the Lord thy God, and shalt obey his voice according to all that I command thee this day. Thou and thy children with all thine heart and with all thy soul, that then the Lord thy God will turn thy captivity and have compassion upon thee, and will turn and gather thee from all the nations whither the Lord thy God has scattered thee. What's he saying? He says, listen, you've messed up. You've gone into captivity. You repent, you make it right. In your practical Christianity, you're growing in the Lord. You come to a place, you refuse to do what's right. And so uh, God allows some very difficult times to occur in your life. And then when you finally get to the bottom and, and you're finally tired of the way you're doing things, you cry out to God and say, God, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And you say, God, I'm willing to make it right, whatever you want me to do. God says, listen, I'll return you to the blessings. If you encounter a bad crop, get back to the basics. Humble yourselves before God and ask Him to help you to have a productive crop. Now, the damage of a bad crop is that in Jeremiah's day, in Jeremiah chapter 11, uh, they wanted Jeremiah to just be quiet. Jeremiah, get out of here. You're a goody two-shoe. We didn't ask you for your opinion. Jeremiah is trying to give them warnings. They're evidencing. It says, let us destroy the tree with the fruit thereof and let us cut him off from the land of the living, that his name may be no more remembered. They wanted to kill Jeremiah. Have you ever had that friend in your life that's doing right for the Lord and they say, hey, you're not doing right. And you're just like, you be quiet now. Go away. I don't want to hear you. It could very well be that God's trying to get your attention. Jeremiah was one of those, quote unquote, Bible thumpers, goody two-shoes, kind of like a sibling. I'm going to tell mom. Mom told me you're not supposed to do that. And you know you're not supposed to do it. And the effects of choosing a bad fruit. If you were to look at Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 15 through 68, we won't do that for the sake of time this evening, but verse 52 talks about no defenses from God. Verse 53, a horrible famine. They would even go to the point of eating their own children. Verse 65, no rest, a trembling heart, much like Adam and Eve experienced in the garden after they eat it, after they ate the fruit. 
their failing of their eyes and sorrow of their mind, there's great depression in the land. What are we seeing here in Canada today? Is there not an epidemic of depression? Verse 66, a lack of assurance of life. Verse 68, they're brought back to Egypt and sold into slavery. We're not moving into greater freedom. This nation has chosen bad fruit. Believers as Christians have chosen bad fruit, and this nation is going to hell. Families are going to hell because of a refusal to acknowledge and follow God and put themselves. They've chosen bad fruit, maybe in ignorance. Sodom and Gomorrah fully destroyed and barren. God will judge according to the fruit of one's actions. Notice with me Jeremiah 21.14. You know what? If we have a proper fear of God in our lives, and when I, let me just give a quick explanation on this fear of God. This fear of God is not like an abusive dad, where an abusive dad would be, you know, just beating the child, berating them, speaking ill to, I mean, just verbally abusing them, physically abusing them, maybe worse. But it's not an abusive father. The fear of God is such a reverence for him that I'm going to respect, that I'm going to behave myself around him, that I understand his authority. Now, there was the queen that just passed away. Queen Elizabeth just passed. and If she came into your, your presence and you understand who she is, you would act a certain way out of reverence for the position. You could almost say there's a, a fear, right? A reverence for that position. It's not this quaking fear, but Jeremiah 21, 14. But I will punish you according to the fruit of your doing, saith the Lord. And I will kindle a fire in the forest thereof, and it shall devour all things round about it. You know what? If we began to evaluate our lives and say, God, I, I don't want you to punish me for your doings. We need to have this position that God is holy he is loving, but He also is a just God, and He will judge me for living incorrectly. And realize this, that God affects crops. We might be seeing a famine in this land, and it could very well be that we see this, the inflation and a lot of the chaos and upheaval that's going on in our land today uh, is a land, a nation, a worldwide, worldwide this is occurring but a world that is refusing God, hating God, and even at the, uh, the recent Commonwealth Games there in uh, England, there was this large bowl kind of and people bowing down and, and people having, uh, Brother Cook, Pastor Cook had sent me this, they were holding these white crystals. And it was supposed to be this thing of light, but it's very similar to what we find in the Bible of the bowl or Baal, the bowl, you know, the, the idol of Baal. I mean, it's very similar. We're seeing that again today, a refusal to put God in the picture for one's own ways and forming gods into themselves. And so God over and over again would give crops to another. God will give your finances to another. You know, we choose bad fruit oftentimes in a time of affliction. Look with me at Proverbs 1, 23 before I go on to another category here and Another point, but Proverbs chapter 1, 23. 
Why is it when hard times are coming and I'm under the judgment of God, I continue to produce and continue to gather into myself bad seed? I continue to gather into myself bad habits and bad actions without coming to the recognition that it could very well be that what is occurring to me is a result of having sown bad fruit and rather than making it right with God as Deuteronomy we discussed and coming in humility before God and asking Him to produce the fruit of righteousness and the fruit of peace, I continue down the path of the fruit of rejection of God. Proverbs 1.23, turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Because I have called and ye refuse. I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. But ye have said it not. I mean, you put to nothing. You disregarded all my counsel and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh is desolation. And your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you. Then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me, for that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel, they despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear of evil. Have you ever had someone in your life and it's just like, man, it seems like every way they look, left, right, up, down, everywhere they're going, it seems like things are just falling apart all around them. <coughs> Financial difficulties, marital conflict, child-parent conflict, additional stress of finances, uh, debt, all these things are indicators potentially of bad decisions and yielding a bad harvest and incurring the judgment of God. God's saying, listen, you're going to call upon me, but I'm not going to answer. If you sow bad fruit, you reap God's judgment. Hebrews 10.31 is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, for those that have been sowing for the Lord and, and they've been honoring God and the selection of overseers... How would you like your work and labor of love for the Lord for many, many years to have someone carelessly disregard your work and allow it to come to waste? You work hard to produce in your children a person who loves the Lord and productive citizen of society, but what if those whom you allow to care for your child don't have the same worldview? They don't have the same love of God. There's going to be effect on the fruit you produce. Look with me at Matthew 21, 33. Now this is in immediate context teaching a different principle, but you can get this out of it. You know what? If you've put all the effort and the money to buy the land, to get the permits, to get the business license, to plant the trees, to, to get the laborers, I mean, you've done everything necessary to produce uh, that I'm going to be an orchard owner, I'm going to be a vineyard owner, I'm going to be whatever it is, of some crop I'm going to grow. 
you know what, you would be very cautious on who your supervisors were and who your laborers were. I mean, someone who loves their crops and loves the work is going to be cautious. You want your fruit and your legacy to continue. You know what, for our daughter, we're cautious of who she's around. The music and the movies and the things she watches because it affects her. I hope in time that you know, she'll come to know Christ as her Savior and, and that she'll love the Lord and serve her with her life. And should she be married, married a godly man. But it's part of this selection of overseers. In Matthew 21, 33, here another parable, there was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a wine press in it and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he, saw, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. And the husbandmen took his servants and beat one. So here's his laborers, the husbandmen, right? And killed another and stoned another. And again, he sent other servants more than the first. They did unto them likewise. But last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and let us seize on his inheritance. This is ultimately talking about Israel, that God would send them prophets saying, listen, turn from your wicked ways. And they would kill them and stone them and ridicule them, and eventually he sent Jesus and they killed him. But you find here that the husbandmen here are disregarding the business of the master, the householder. God loved Israel. He wanted them to be the light. And he sent specific people to care for the crop. And yet they disregarded it. Another thing that we find is the workers neglect in Haggai chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Look with me here at Haggai chapter 1. It's there in the Old Testament prophets. Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. So if you go to Matthew, go back two books, you'll find Haggai. Haggai 1, verse 9. Go back three books. Haggai, chapter 1, verse 9. You looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of, my, because of mine house that is waste? And ye run every man into his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. The people are neglecting the temple. They're neglecting the business of God, the worship of God. You know it's important for the production of fruit for eternity for God that you don't neglect the local church. It affects your own business affairs. It affects your hobbies. It, you know, church is more than a routine weekend activity. It is a part of your worship to God. And neglect of attendance and involvement in church affects your life. Church is not live streaming. Now, sometimes we can say, you know, in the, the selection of overseers here, and these people were overseeing it, but they just let God's house go to waste in their own priorities. Everything at home is more important than what's going on at church. 
You know what, I, I need to do this around the house, I need to do this, and I need to do this, and I need to do this, and I need to do this at work, but I'm neglecting the church, I'm not getting involved, I'm not doing what God wants me to do. You know, there, there's all sorts of things that come up at church. Sometimes there's outreach, sometimes there's work days, sometimes there's other things, but I'm just too busy with my own things. There's a neglect of God's house. The overseers of that, those who are a part of it, the very body of Christ, that local church, as you can think about it from this passage, there's a neglect. But sometimes, as we think as Christians, you look out and you're like, but I got this neighbor across the road, and it seems like everything he touches turns to gold. He doesn't love God. Why can they prosper? You know, why can I, who love God and I'm serving God, why can I... You know, feel like at times it's like every step of the way that I'm walking, I'm walking through difficult times. But yet somebody else who doesn't love God, sometimes in their life, it, it seems like they come to, you know, they, they, things go well for them. In Jeremiah 12, 1 and 2, Righteous art thou, O Lord, when I plead with thee, yea, let me talk with thee of thy judgments. Wherefore doth the way of the wicked prosper? God, why are the wicked prospering? Wherefore are all they happy that deal very treacherously? I mean, some of them are complete jerks. They're mean, they're ruthless, and yet they're happy, seemingly. Thou hast planted them, yea, they have taken root. They grow, yea, they bring forth fruit. Thou art near in their mouth and far from their reins. Understand this, that weeds will grow in the same field as you. Sometimes it takes a little bit of challenge. Ultimately, those who would deal treacherously will come to their fate before God in full judgment. There is a separation in that which is sown, as Matthew 13, 25 through 30 talks about the tares among the wheat. But it would come at the time that eventually the tares would be separated from the wheat. The tares are the things of this world and the men of this world and the, the ways of this world. And, and, and the wheat is the crop that God wanted. There will be those who are born and reject Christ in the millennial kingdom. They'll, they'll reject Him. We must carry on producing even it, when it seems like the enemy is prevailing. In Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 2 through 3, sometimes in the care, the oversight of the church, or here... Um, in the millennium, but uh, Judges 20, or excuse me, Jeremiah, Jeremiah 23, let's try that again, say Judges. Jeremiah 23, God will judge pastors as overseers. If a pastor has not been what he needs to be, God will judge him. You know what God's saying? Listen, you don't deal well with my crop. I'm coming after you. You don't care for my people and the churches you oversee. I'm coming after you. Jeremiah 23, 2. There, let's look at verse 1 through 3. Jeremiah. Woe be unto the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pastor, saith the Lord. Therefore thus saith the Lord God of Israel against the pastors that feed my people. You have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not visited them. Behold, I will visit upon you the evil of your doing, saith the Lord, and I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries whither I have driven them and will bring them again to their folds and they shall be fruitful and increase. God's saying, listen, even in the time of these bad, evil, wicked pastors, if they abuse God's people, God's saying in the millennium, 
it's going to be bad. I'm going to take my people and I'm going to bring them together and I'm going to care for them. And my final point this evening, all of this work to produce a godly fruit, there's coming a day of retirement in farming. You want to know something? Look with me at Revelation. Actually, uh, yeah, Revelation 22 too. So we start in Genesis chapter 2. This whole thing comes full circle. We start in a perfect garden, eating of any fruit we want, Adam and Eve could, other than the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We come through all of this evil, bad fruit, good fruit, bad fruit, good fruit, all throughout time. And time runs its course, and we come back to the beginning, or the end of it, of humanity, and the eternity for, thus who, for those of us who know the Lord. Look with me at Revelation chapter 22, verse 2. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree for, were for the healing of the nations. What happened in the Garden of Eden? Because of eating the bad fruit, they were kicked away from the tree of life. Good fruit, bad fruit. They got the bad fruit. Jesus Christ came to give us so we could get the good fruit. The fruit of righteousness. The fruit of eternal life. And as we come to the end of eternity, we come back to the tree of life. On either side of the river is the tree of life. I have free access to it. My friend, it pays to produce a crop that is pleasing to the Lord. You realize there's restoration and protection in the millennial kingdom. Malachi 3 talks about that. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. When he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts, he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. You know what? If you're producing a fruit and a crop for the Lord, the devourer, the worldly one, the prosperous one, the treacherous one, they can't destroy it. And all of that hard work will come to the market. And the payout is that you and I have absolute, free, unmitigated, unrestricted access to the tree of life. Because we've accepted, you know, first of all, you've accepted Jesus Christ. But there, as we live with him for eternity, we've come full circle, full restoration. What soil are you in? What fruit are you producing? You know, the Galatians 5, the fruits of the flesh, the fruits of the Spirit. You know, someday the selection by Adam and Eve of one bad fruit amongst the limitless quantity of other fruits will be corrected by God and will return to paradise. But until this day, you must live your life in a manner and practice which will produce eternal fruit rather than the temporal fruit admonished by Satan. Partake in this activity and you'll have joy and fun, as Satan says. It might for a time. Live for the moment. Live for riches. 
live for the career, and you spend all your time and all your efforts in that course, only to realize at the end of life, I wish I would have done differently. There's always a good choice of what type of fruit you produce. There's a choice of what you fail to produce. And it's based upon the soil and the water your roots are tapped into. If your roots and your soil are not tapped into Christ and His eternal Word, you'll never produce the right fruit. To be a tree of life. You know, we've been called to be like a tree of life, transforming those around us rather than a tree of death and selfish ambitions. So you choose the fruit you produce by whom you allow to influence you. What you allow to influence you. The tips on the fruit of life. Make sure you're in the right soil. Make sure your roots are deep. Make sure you're planted correctly. Make sure your soil is not contaminated. Make sure your soil is not in blended with the things of this world. Make sure you're producing the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of the flesh. We need to evaluate what is going on in our life. When I'm interacting with people, what is their reaction? What is their, you know, their demeanor? You know, they, may, they might hate Christ, and they might hate anything about Him, but you know what, I don't. If I'm pursuing it in a wrong way towards family, friends, or others, then I'm not producing that fruit of life for others. To help them to know Christ, I'm rather producing the fruit of death. You know what? You choose the fruit you want to produce in life. You choose what you want to do with your life and whether your life is indeed pleasing to the Lord or maybe you're there with the fruit and you've produced some good fruit in your life, but you haven't taken the next step of faith. You haven't gone to the next step to make right what is wrong. You haven't gone to the next step of faith to do more for the Lord because you're just saying, well, look at what I've produced. Don't keep your, don't keep your fruit in the boxes. Sell them to the market. Let God do something with them. Take the next step of faith and move forward for Him. And so tonight, as we come to the time of invitation, I'd like Mrs. Pat to come forward, please. How are you living your life? What is being produced? To those you affect? To those whom you have an influence upon? What is, what is being produced? And those to whom you influence? And I trust you would say it's producing more life than death. Because you're rooted right. Your soil's right. Only you know where you're at this evening. And so as the music plays, I would encourage you, with heads bowed and eyes closed, just to pray and talk with the Lord. God's called us. God created the very DNA to multiply, to reproduce after like kind. And we'll reproduce after the flesh if we resist the Lord. And if we're grounded in the Word of God, in obedience to the Word of God. We have the DNA to be successful and produce the right fruit. You must figure out 
what fruit you're producing. And if it's not the right fruit, as the Spirit of God convicts you, it's about time we get it right. I trust that we would all be more fruitful and productive for the Lord. producing in our lives. We'd have a holy fear of God. And we would understand that, hey, if I'm dishonoring Him, I'm going to bring His judgment on my life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love You. I thank You for Your goodness and grace. And Lord, I thank You. The fact that before we go down a wrong path, Lord, You give us warning signals. You give us the Holy Spirit of God to convict our conscience, this is not right. Lord, you, you give instruction from Scripture and preaching and other things in our life to, uh, to show us that maybe what we're producing in our life is not correct. And Lord, that we need to turn our ways. Father, I ask tonight, if there is anyone here that, as a believer, that's maybe going in the wrong direction, not taking that next step of faith, not producing the right fruit, that, Lord, tonight they would resolve no longer to linger, but to follow you. And I pray if anyone does not know you as their Savior tonight, that they would call out and ask you to forgive them of all their sins and be their Savior. Lord, I yield tonight to thee. I love you. I thank you for being an amazing Savior and God. Thank you for loving us so. I thank you, Father, that because you do love us, you discipline us to bring us to the place where we have sweet fellowship again. Lord, I pray also, no matter what goes on in this world, that we would understand that, Lord, you're still in control. And Father, we'll just walk with you. So, Lord, I yield all that's said and done in this evening to Thee. I love You. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. God bless you.